The Bible reading can be found found, can be found on page 1175 of your Bibles, and it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, He took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemes. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Well, you'll find an outline of what I'm going to say uh, in the notes that you would have received at the door, and we're going to dive in. As I said, this has been our vision series, so if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, you've kind of come in on the end, uh, and so I'm going to try and let you in on what we've been doing, uh, but can I say it's really good that you're here, and you're not going to be, oh my goodness, what are these people talking about? Hopefully, it makes perfect sense. You can come up afterwards and tell me if it doesn't, uh, and I'll answer any questions you might have. But we've been exploring the question of what is the purpose of the church? Why do we, why do we exist? Now, if you go into scripture, you'll actually see ultimately we exist not for ourselves. We exist for God's glory. So the next question is, well, what does that look like? How do we do that? And we've come up at Trinity Church Brighton with a mission statement that captures what we think is at the heart of our life together. Here it is on the screen. It says, empowered by God's spirit, resting in his grace and for his glory, we make and grow disciples of Jesus Christ in fellowship with his people to bless a broken world. At the core, you can see there in Bold, we make and grow disciples, or apprentices is probably a more contemporary word that we could use. Apprentices of Jesus Christ. 
So the question then we have, well, how, how do we do that? And what we've done at Brighton is we've teased out, and along with all the other churches around the network, we've teased out what we've called the five key purposes. So if you imagine making disciples is like uh, cooking up a storm in the kitchen, okay? What we've done is we've got the end desire, the end goal, the banquet that we want, making disciples. And what we've done is we've said, these are the key ingredients. These five purposes, all starting with the letter M, M, very good. Okay, they are magnification, uh, mission, membership, maturity, and ministry. And ministry is the one we're looking at today. Those five purposes really come together to help us make and grow disciples of Jesus. Now, as I said, if you're a visitor, you're coming in on the end of this. But can I say, I think a lot of people don't actually understand church. We kind of, I think from the outside, look a little bit like a religious club and you're kind of a bit odd. I don't know what happens. Well, it's brilliant that you're here, particularly if you know nothing about what churches are about. Because hopefully by the end of my time of speaking to you, you've got a very clear idea about what churches are about. You can catch that vision. I've got four headings. Here they are. Purposes in action, the body in action, barriers and Trinity Church and the ministry purpose. Now, the passage that Sharon read for us from Ephesians chapter uh, chapter 4, it actually captures each of our purposes brilliant. It's like a five-stranded rope and each of those five are woven through. So I want to start by diving in and talking about the purposes in action, just briefly. Our first one, magnification. What are we talking about? We're talking about a life empowered by worship, a life that is driven by a sense of awe, of the fear of the Lord, not abject terror, but a godly respect and just how awesome God is. A life captivated by the love and the power and the majesty that is our God. Who God is and what he has done just grips us. Where do we find this? We find it in the middle of the passage where Paul talks about the king ascending on high, taking captives in his train and distributing gifts. Paul is quoting the Old Testament, the book of Psalms or songs. And in there, Psalm 68 is a song of praise for God's victory. God has won a victory and in Psalm 68, his people are singing his praises. And Paul is saying, God has won a victory, not with an army, but on the cross. Not over the opponents, the earthly opponents, but over sin and death and evil. God has won a great victory and his people sing praise. But there's even more. If you've got your Bibles open there, Paul says, I urge you as a prisoner in verse 1, then. Then could be translated, therefore. And what he's doing is he's saying, in light of everything that's come before, and you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, 
in chapters 1 to 3, we've seen the awesome wisdom and power and love and grace and majesty of God towards us in Christ laid out. And so Paul is saying, in light of everything that I've told you about how amazing God is, therefore, live like this. That's magnification. The life driven by worship. What's our next one? Mission. This is us going out and proclaiming the message that we have believed. As Christians, we believe that Christ died and rose again, that he took our place, bore our sin as he died on the cross. He died as our substitute and he rose again into new life and through faith in him, we can have that life. We can know what it is to be God's people and we are not just recipients, but as we have received this message, so we are ambassadors to tell this message. We are a people on mission. Well, where is it in the passage? Verse 11, there's a list of five people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, those who go and tell the good news. But if you look, actually, they're not telling the good news outside the church because in verse 12, and we'll come back to this, they're actually equipping the saints. They're equipping God's people to tell the good news. And so here we have a group of people whose job is to help us and we have people like this amongst us to help us tell the great salvation that is ours in Christ. Because church growth happens in a couple of different ways. And the evangelists are working to help us grow in this way, to see people added to the number of those who are God's people as they come to put their trust in Christ through his death and resurrection. That is church growth, okay? They are building the church. There's another type of church growth, we're into that as well, where you grow up uh, in your faith, where babies in the Christian walk become mature, and we're into that one as well. We see mission working itself out here in our passage. What's the third one? Well, membership. Now, I'd like to suggest you'd have to be blind to miss this one in Ephesians chapter 4. It is just all the way through. But what does Paul say in verse 1? He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What is that calling? It's a calling into God's family. A calling into a relationship with him through Christ. A calling into his people so that we can call him father. So Christ is our brother and we are brothers and sisters together. Paul lays down the essential unity of our faith. One body, one hope, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit. He goes on. We are bound together in this essential unity. In a community where we can both know and be known where we can both love and be loved, where we can both serve and be served. Membership is key here. What's our next one? Maturity. Well, I've already identified those 
uh, five people there in verse 11. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Okay, one thing they all have in common is that they are all ministers of the word of God. They are all those who teach and preach in different ways, but they have a goal. And their goal is there in verse 13, that God's people grow together, grow up in maturity, reaching unity in Christ. That is the goal. And so God's people have been given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers so that they can hear and respond to the word of God and grow into maturity. And what does this maturity look like? What's there in the first few verses of the passage? Humility, gentleness, patience, loving kindness, unity. But also towards the end of the passage, as Paul talks about not being rocked by false teaching, not being led astray, being able to discern what is true and what is right, to stand firm against lies. So we have all five of these, or or there's four of them anyway, uh, of these purposes that are there, which brings us to ministry. Uh, And we met Pam before, who's going to head this up for us next year. What is our purpose in ministry? Well, here it is. We aim to see God's people joyfully and sacrificially serving to build up the body of Christ. Is it biblical? Well, I'd like to suggest it is. And let's find it. Just let me grab my Bible. Have a look at verse 4. If you've got your Bibles open there. If not, I'll read it to you. Paul says, he says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul loves to repeat his images. If you've read much of Paul's writing, you'll recognise that this image of a body is not something that's unique to Ephesians chapter 4. Like any good preacher, he recycles his, uh, his images. So if you were here last week, you'll recognise that I've just shamelessly repeated my opening introduction uh, from last week. But Paul, when he's onto a good thing, he keeps going, he says, like, the church is like a body. Okay, and down the bottom he tells us that Christ is the head, but we are the body. And this is a passage that reflects something that Paul's already written to another church in Greece called Corinth. Okay, let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? Like Ephesians. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. But even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Different parts, different roles. We've got legs, we've got arms, we've got spleens, whatever spleens do. Someone can explain that to me at one point. Uh, You have pituitary glands. I don't know if anyone here this morning feels like they are the pituitary gland of Trinity Church Brighton. I don't know what it would look like. But we are all different and we have different roles and we need it. But we are all one body. What makes us different? 
What determines our roles, our places? Well, Paul has it there in verse 7. He's told us there's one body, but in verse 7, but to each one of us, grace or gifts has been given as Christ apportioned it. We are all bound together. If we are Christians, if we have a common faith, if we are part of a local congregation, we are bound together as the body of Christ in this place. And we all have different roles according to Christ's purposes. To each one, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Grace just means unearned favour, a free gift. And so the idea of gift and grace really do go hand in hand. But here Paul is saying, not only is it a free gift, but Jesus has determined, Jesus the victor, Jesus the conqueror, has determined how he's spreading those gifts out. That teaches us a few things. It teaches us, firstly, humility. I can remember at Bible college, uh, when I was at Bible college last century, uh, there was a couple of guys there and you'd look at these guys and you were just almost intimidated by them. They were the kind of people who, they just seemed to have every gift. Okay, They were there, uh, they could do amazing things and God used them to do amazing things and it would be easy to be intimidated by people like that. It would be easy, you could imagine, to be arrogant if you were like that. But what does Ephesians 4 verse 7 actually teach us? Is that God has given us those gifts. It is a free gift as Christ apportioned it. And so it has nothing to do with our worth. It doesn't make us better if we have more. It doesn't make us less us if we seem to have less. But Paul says to each one of us, to every single person, gifts have been given as Christ has directed. It gives us humility. So if you have gifts that are maybe more public, more showy, more obvious, it doesn't make you better than the person who serves behind the scenes that no one knows. We all have gifts as Christ apportions. It gives us humility. But it also should teach us obedience. Because Christ has given gifts according to his purpose. He has intentions on how those gifts have been used. He has a design for the outcome that he is looking. He's not saying, fine, just go have fun. He's given you gifts so that you might serve his purpose. And let's have a look and see what that is. One part of his gifting, as we've seen, is there in verse 11. Christ himself gave the apostles, believed those to be the, the 12 who were the authorised witnesses to Christ and his resurrection. We have their words in scripture. The prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. And those word ministers, they have a role. Their role is to work until we all reach unity in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. So their goal, the ministry of the word, aims to be producing maturity. 
But if you're paying attention, you'll notice that I've skipped over a verse. Verse 12. Their role is to equip God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. The role of the few is to equip the many. To equip the many to do the work of ministry. The role of ministry is not done by those that we call ministers or pastors or priests or whatever language you want to use. In Ephesians, Paul teaches us the role of ministry is done by God's people. Each and every one of them gifted to serve his purposes by his grace. Can I underline that? Because so often I think we have verse 11 and verse 13 and we drop verse 12. And we don't help it by giving people titles. And we have, oh, the pastors. I have a role. Colin has a role. Paul has a role. And our job as, and I think we fall into the pastor-teacher kind of category, is to equip the rest of you to get on with God's work, not to do it in your place. The works of service here, Paul says, are building the church, working to see your brothers and sisters grow up and to see others come in that the church might grow into him who is the head, that is Christ. What are the gifts? Well, I'm not going to spend time unpacking it all this morning, but you can go to chapters like Romans 12, Pam read for us. You can go to 1 Corinthians 12 that I just read for you. You can go here in Ephesians 4, you can go to 1 Peter 4, and you can look up those, there are others. But one of the things that you'll find is none of them line up. They're all different. And I think that's very deliberate. Because God is a dynamic God. God is a living and active God. And he gives his people whatever is necessary to build his church. Some of the gifts that are talked about seem quite ordinary. Teaching. Leading. Serving. Some of them seem Ooh, like really spooky, you know, like miracles, healings, tongues. But the one thing I want to say is that they are all gifts of the one God. And they are all empowered by the same spirit. And they're all their purpose is to build his church. And so as we think about gifts, remember Christ gives gifts. He empowers them by his spirit to build his church. Well, what gets in the way? Let's just talk about three things. One is that we get it wrong where we think, and I've talked about this a bit, so I won't belabor the point too much, that ministry belongs to some, not all. This means that you'll come along, you'll sit in a chair, and you'll be a recipient. Okay? You probably won't do very much if you think about this because ministry is done by ministry professionals. That's why we pay Cameron and Colin and Mark and Paul. They do the work of ministry and they serve us. Well, we do serve you. 
But hopefully Ephesians has told you, we serve you so that you might serve everyone else. Ministry like this can be a bit like a footy game. Okay, when you have 36 players desperately in need of a break, watched by tens of thousands who desperately need to get off their backsides and get active. (laughs) The players run themselves into the ground and everyone looks back and claps. That's not how Paul sees ministry. The first mistake, it's done by some, not all. No, it's done by all, not some. The second thing is, is that we see ourselves as consumers, not producers. If this is you, you'll serve a bit, okay? Because we live in a society that uh, deals in exchange, don't we? Okay, so Stephen and Lauren have just bought a house, Uh, okay? They exchanged a large amount of money in exchange for the house. Hopefully they think that they got a good deal and the other side did as well and that's good. We do that in our relationships. I'm in this for as long as I'm getting out of this. You hear this voiced. People do this in church. We reduce the church to a service provider. Okay, and I will serve as long as my needs are being met. And if my needs aren't being met, gone. But it's not. It's not. We are called to be producers not merely consumers. And the amazing thing is, as God, as he he works us together, as we are actually serving one another, as we are looking to the needs of others, we are actually being built up ourselves because others are looking to our needs. Our third mistake, first one, some, not all. Second one, consumers, not producers. The third one, self, not others. If this is you, you might serve an awful lot. But ultimately, it's about you. It makes you feel good. You've come across these people possibly, maybe you are one yourself, where you build a sense of identity through serving. I'm the generous person. I serve in all these amazing ways. And we build our sense of worth, our sense of identity, our righteousness. We build our standing on what we do. We make it all about us and not about the God we serve and the people who we serve in his name. And so we obsess about what are my gifts and what do I feel and where there's, there's needs that are going begging, but maybe we don't want to do those things. We seek to serve to serve our own ends. We build our own righteousness. But the great antidote is to go back to the start of our M's and to see the wonder of the one who served us. Paul says in Philippians 2 that he, though he was in the very nature God, this is Jesus he's talking about, in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to to be exploited, to be used for his own agendas but humbled himself and took on the nature of a servant. Paul tells us that Christ the King, the conquering King, served us. 
And as he served us, he gave us an identity. Not one that we earn, but one that we freely receive. And as, we ser- as he served us, he gave us a righteousness, a standing before God that we could appeal to his perfect work, not to our performance. The cross gave us the identity, the righteousness that we strive to seek. So if you are someone who serves for self, look at the servant king and realize that everything you are trying to gain is yours through faith in Christ. Go back to the beginning. Go back to magnification. Go back to see what it is to worship the servant king. So a few thoughts as we finish. What does this mean for us? It means that we aim to see God's people, that's each and every one of you, at Trinity Church Brighton, at Trinity Church Woodcroft, whatever Trinity Church or whatever church you are part of normally, your aim should be as God's people to be joyful and sacrificial in service to build up the body of Christ. A couple of thoughts for us individually. Recognise that we need each other. I don't know where you're at in terms of church, but I know that there are Christians out there who don't really feel they need to be connected. they kind of a bit of a lone ranger. They dip in every now and again. Ephesians 4 teaches us unequivocally that maturity is corporate. We actually need each other. Why? Because none of us are complete in ourselves. I need the ministry that you bring if I am to grow in Christ. You need the ministry that I bring and those around you bring. Maturity is corporate. Verse 16, we grow together as each part does its work. I was a physio and for a while I used to work uh, rehabilitating people after uh, strokes. Have you ever seen someone after a stroke when they have what's called a dense hemiplegia, which is basically one side of their body just does not work? And you see them trying to walk. You see them trying to do basic things. They can't because the body is not working together. The problem's there in the brain. Some of us there are old enough and we've got joints that don't quite work uh, the right way. Yes? Okay. I've got a left meniscus at the moment that's throwing all sorts of problems when I go for a run. Uh, If I'm going to grow into fullness as a person, I need to get that joint doing its work. If we're going to grow as a church, we need to grow together. We need each other. Maturity is corporate. Can I say also, have a ministry mindset. Don't come along on Sunday to here or to Woodcroft or to wherever and say, I wonder what's in it for me this morning. Go along saying, I wonder who God can use me to bless. I wonder what needs I can meet. And you know, the amazing thing is, is when I've been praying those prayers beforehand and God has answered those prayers and he does, generally I go away from church really pumped about how good it was at church because God has been at work in me and through me 
and he has been glorified and others have been built up. As soon as I start feeling, oh, I wonder what's in it for me, I go away thinking, "Mm, wasn't that good this morning. Have a ministry mindset. Look for opportunities to serve, to bless. Not just rosters, but be there. Be there to serve in lots of different ways. Now, for us as a church, we're facing our biggest challenge in terms of change next year. We're sending away roughly a third of our congregation. Why would we do this? Well, we believe under God this is a great way to see even more people come to know just how great he is. That's going to stretch the crew that are going to go with Colin, and it's going to stretch us. And so come wanting to step up, to look for needs. Pam's going to be on board working out all sorts of incredible ways, I'm sure, uh, to serve us by training and supporting and equipping us for that ministry. But look for the opportunities because this is us as a church. And can I say, it doesn't just mean be on a roster. Rosters are needed. We need to organise our life together. But ministry is the conversation you have with someone at the door. The stacking of the chairs around you. The staying around and talking to the person who looks like they're on their own, who looks like they've had a horrible week. Ministry is serving in a whole host of different ways. Not just, I'm on kids' church this morning. It's great you're on kids' church. But ministry is so much bigger than that. So much bigger as we serve one another, as God's church, God's people are built up and we grow together in unity and maturity into Christ, who is our head. And I'm going to stop.